Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. You know what's happening right now. Croatia or France in the World Cup. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been following it quite a bit. And it's, it's incredible. If you have been following it and you love the World Cup, you're probably not here right now. And maybe you're listening to the sermon on the podcast. Uh, but it's really, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, my, my sister-in-law, Mercedes, is from southern Spain. And in uh, 2010, I believe Spain world won the World Cup. And then in 2014, there was, I think they did really well. Uh, but I remember in 2000, this was four years ago, our whole family was together at the beach. And uh, Mercedes, uh, she, she is my sister-in-law. She teaches at UNCG. She teaches Spanish. She is reserved. She is thoughtful and kind. But when she watches Spain play soccer, something comes over her. Now, I don't, I don't really remember exactly what happened, but she, she came to her feet and she started this rhythmic clapping. And she started to, to do these chants in Spanish and then started, you know, I understood, Espanol, Espanol. And she just took over the room. Now, we're, uh, we, we were at the beach, we were watching it on TV, and it's amazing because there's this geographical distance, obviously, from Topsail Island Beach and uh, wherever they were playing the World Cup. There's this cultural distance, this gap, but I kid you not, it was like she was right there in the stands in, in unison with all the Spaniards cheering for her team. It was incredible. I'd never seen that side of Mercedes. She was there. And what grabbed me about this story so much is that even though these women were, were friends of Jesus and they had been under his teaching, there was this gap between what they were experiencing and what was real in the resurrection. And it didn't register with them. It didn't sink in. I mean, it's like Mercedes was there. It's like there was no problem, man. She was just there and alive and was engaged. And the reality of Spain playing soccer had sunk in deep. 
So this story is fascinating to me because honestly, I struggle with that same gap of what I know and what my everyday experience is like. And I wonder if you share that same gap. So today, my hope this morning, as we complete our series at the end of Mark here, that the wonder of the resurrection would impact our everyday lives. And I think this is possible because Romans 8 says that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. So I I am so hopeful that we can experience the reality and the wonder of the resurrection. So in a way, and this sounds crazy, but in a way, today is like Easter Sunday in July. (laughs) And I think it's a fitting way and joy to wrap up this series. So fitting. So my main idea is very simple. We're going to see what can happen when religious duty and fear collide with resurrection wonder. I'm going to say that again. It's, It's real simple. Today, we are going to see what can happen when religious duty and fear collide with resurrection wonder. Father, I uh, love Michael's prayer that we will we would lean in and press in to the realities of the gospel. Lord, keep us from leaving this place and putting a verse or a truth in a compartment and saying, yeah, that's a great Sunday. Lord, may the reality and wonder of your resurrection permeate our soul today and tomorrow and the next day. May it be so in Jesus' name. You know, I know it's kind of awkward to, you know, be watching me and I'm kind of talking and, you know, you can see a lot up here. But I just love being here, and I'm really grateful that I have the chance to, to be here. Uh, Todd is away in St. Louis at the Holbrook wedding, and Daniel is, who, know, who knows where Daniel is, I think. I think he's out west, he and his wife are away. But I just wanted to, to start by, by saying thank you, and, and it, it really is fun to be here. There are two energies happening with these women, and I'm going to be referring to this passage over and over again. There, there are two motivations happening that were really powerful. And the first was religious duty, and the second was fear. And look at those first couple of verses here. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. See, the women were functioning under the Old Covenant under the regulations, under the culture of, um, of the, their religious system. And so the women are really between the work of the cross, which had already happened, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they do have the past words of Jesus, and they have the revelation of this angel. So they are operating to begin to progress into the new covenant. But at the time, they did not have the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit, which we do have. That's a side note, but it's important. So the Sabbath Sabbath was on a Saturday, and there's absolutely no work that occurs on the Sabbath. You can't even go buy and sell things in that day. And so they had, I think these women were planters. I think they bought the spices before the Sabbath. So they must have bought the spices right after Jesus died, which is kind of a cool, a cool thought. But over the Sabbath, they were forced to engage their thoughts 
I mean, they were forced to face and, and grieve what was going on. So they bought these spices right after his death. And they did these. We don't really know exactly what the spices are, but I, I, a lot of people feel like they're perfumes. And so uh, they're not going to embalm. They're going to, to just put out perfume so that the smell of death doesn't overcome their adoration. And that's the idea there, that they are, they are going to pay respect. And it's a little bit easier when you have perfume and that smell in the air versus the smell of death. So religious duty isn't all bad. Please don't hear me say that. I think it does offer us routine and rhythm. Sometimes our feelings don't align with a calling, so it, it's, it's great just to, to come and do the, the next thing. But in the Old Covenant, there's such a high uh, focus on behavior. And because of that, what happens if we just lean on religious duty is, is tell me the rules and I'm going to do it. Or tell me the rules and I'm going to break them. Either way, it's me at the center. And so if we are left with just religious duty, all we, all we really have is me and you. Me is central to both. But when religious duty collides with resurrection wonder, someone else becomes central. The controlled, dutiful soul is rattled with a greater jarring reality. And I think that's what's happening in our passage. Christ has risen. So religious duty comes with resurrection wonder. And it's like, boom, and you're out of the center. Someone else is here. Someone else is functioning here. So if Jesus is truly alive, then religious duty is turned into delight. It's, it's turned into a, a showing up with gratitude. Showing up at places, showing up in service. I really appreciate how, how the angel said, Jesus will meet you in Galilee. Just go and show up. And do you think they, I mean, do you really think they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to walk all the way to Galilee. It's about a five-day walk. I, don't, I think I just want to go hang out at the pool of Siloam. And just see that. No. I mean, is it the religious duty? I'm going to go up to Galilee. No, their hearts were, were, were shaken to the core. And they're like, of course, we've got to go. We've got to do this. Let's go. It doesn't matter that it's that far. You know, there is no like oh, motivation of some external motivation. No, their heart was just, just ripped up. Their control system was just undone. So we can show up because he's promised to go before, before us. We can show up because he's promised to go before us. Matthew Henry in his commentary, I, I love it. it just, I just, it's a simple way of saying it. He said, all the meetings between Christ and his disciples, Christ is the most forward. He goes before you. If you want to take that with you today, just he goes before you. So we can show up with the light because he goes before us. He is the one. Showing up the light is always better than buckling down in duty. It's always better. Again, these women are in between the resurrection and Pentecost. They must go to Galilee. That's their next step. So in a way, they are bridging the gap. 
But for us as new covenant believers, Christ has fully come to us and by his Holy Spirit. He has taken the initiative. He has come so we can claim him as Michael's prayer was claim him as reality. Well, when the women were struck by resurrection wonder, their me-centered duty became a Christ-centered delight, but it still wasn't perfect. It just wasn't perfect. And I kind of appreciate that about this text. The great fear really didn't go away in the scene. They, they continued to experience fear. I mean, look at how the passage ended. Yet that promise that Jesus will show up and go before you, that's powerful to me. So the second, the second uh, 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 energy, the second motivation that's underneath the surface with these women is fear. And just look at that passage. It's in your bulletin, and, and I'm going I'm to read it. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. You know, it makes sense that they were afraid. You think about it. I mean, they're political leaders put to death, their rabbi and friend. That makes sense. And, and it's funny, and I don't know if you resonate with this, but fear tends to multiply in our head. You, you know what I mean? Like, if you are open, if you've opened yourself up to a fearful scenario in this area of your life, you're going to be more prone to experience fear in other areas of your life. It's interesting how that works. I mean, I, I just, I remember, and, and this just, just kind of came, came to me when I was, uh, it was about 20 years ago, I was starting youth ministry and we were uh, going on this huge mission trip. There's 100 and, 175 uh, uh, high schoolers and adults. We're driving from Greensboro to Denver. Can you imagine? It was a two-day drive. And I remember just, I, I was really, as a, you know, as a young guy, I was just really gripped with fear. of what, what do people think of me? Like, I don't really know all these students. I was new to it all. And, and I was just, that was kind of the thoughts that I was carrying with me. And as we're driving up, we had a couple of vans that had some van trouble and we found ourselves in this um, rest area, and there is literally probably about 75 students sitting on the hard floor of the rest area waiting for, like, a, a tow truck to come for one of the vans. And I, so I'm just walking around, and I don't really know anybody. And you all know how that, you know, socially, that's kind of an awkward thing. But I just remember carrying this fear around me, like, what, is, what are these people, what, when they look at me, like, what do they, they think of me? And I had to use the bathroom, and it was... And, and so <laughs> the bathroom door was over there, and all these students were right here. And so I had to go to the bathroom, and I was kind of like walking over people. And I wasn't really paying attention to, like, the, the men's bathroom sign and the women's bathroom sign. And I just tippy-toed, and they all kind of were looking at me, and, you know, and, and I was like, finally, I'm in the bathroom. I was like, man, this bathroom does not have any, like, urinals, and this is really clean in here, and... I'm like, man, West Virginia rest areas, yes, you know, or 
And um, so I just did my thing, and luckily there's no other people in there. And, um, but when I came out, all eyes were on me. And they, I mean, were smiling, laughing. A couple people, like, high-fived me. And, you know, and it, um, but, it, but what, the reason I say that is, is because, in, in a way, you know, that was like a terrible fear for me to actually happen. And after it was all said and done, it, it, it really, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and I think fear can play mind tricks with us. And it's so interesting, even in this passage, they, uh, one of them said, oh, we should have gotten Joseph's men to come to roll back that stone. Oh man, when we get there, oh, I can just picture it. When we get there, the stone is going to be rolled over. And what, all for not. You know, we have all these spices, we spend all this money. Isn't that interesting how they imagine kind of the scenario and already feeling all this fear, they kind of fear that they're not going to be able to carry out what they're hoping to do. I just kind of sat with that, with that, that moment where that happened. And I think that, that really begs the question, like what, what fears are, are lingering in our, in our minds, in our souls? I have a picture. Uh, one, one, um, this is from a study tour in Israel uh, a while back. And this is uh, really the, the picture of, of um, a typical first century um, uh, tomb. And um, a lot of the tour guides, a lot of the, the professors will take you to this. This is just right outside Jerusalem as, as really a good example of what it probably was like. Um, the tomb of Jesus was most likely um, larger, to the, larger than this. But I just want to point out a couple of things. The, those stones are on kind of like a slide. And it just shows really the, the, the power, even that, that stone right there. I mean, I don't know how many people it would take to, to actually move that. Um, it's, and, and, you know, if you think about that tomb, they didn't have, like, lighting or anything like that. And so there's such darkness. And, and those women had to stoop down into the darkness. They had to kneel and move into the tomb. And then this angel appears to them. And, and this angel most likely had some sort of dazzling apparel, maybe like Jesus in his transfiguration. But can you imagine how that lit up the inside of that tomb? And I just think of that light and darkness. And, and really, the, the symbolism and the imagery is pre, pretty, pretty stark there. Because darkness can represent fear, evil, and death. Psalm 23, shadow of the fat valley of death. But then light can, can represent kind of a, a, a new day. Uh, uh, the sun rising. The pro- process of darkness going away. And I just think about that with this, these women. They are in process of the darkness going away. It's still kind of there. But they are in the process of Christ himself shining through all fear and darkness. These women went out, they fled, and it says they fled in panic. They, they didn't run out of this place and go evangelize and go tell everybody. They were scared. Yes, they had this sense of wonder and astonishment, but they left scared. Notice your Bible. If you have your Bibles, after verse 8, there's this little phrase, and this might, this might bother some. Um, it's interesting, though. 
And this little phrase says, some of the early manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. In other words, a lot of scholars believe that the the actual gospel ended at this verse in verse 8, that they all fled in fear. That's not an awesome way to end the gospel. And there's some people that, that, that just have different theories on that, like maybe something happened to Mark, or maybe, and I like this one, Mark was so engaged with the reality of Christ and the story of the gospel that he didn't feel like he had to wrap things up. It's interesting. But the point is, is the, there is a messy process that sometimes is scary. The gospel doesn't always carry neat and tidy. One commentary put it this way. What a flash of wonder would pass through their minds when they saw it open. So, I'm getting close to, to finishing up here. When fear collides with resurrection wonder, it becomes fear of the Lord. They began to realize the process and God inviting them into something great. Fear became fear of the Lord. Now, I have to recommend this little book by Eugene Peterson called Living the Resurrection. He talks about this in this passage. Fear becomes fear of the Lord. And I have one more slide, if we can look at that, that has part of this quote. The word fear, this is so good. The word fear is frequently used in a way that means far more than simply being scared. Here's the thing. It includes all the emotions that accompany being scared, disorientation, not knowing what's going to happen, the realization that there's far more here than we had any idea of. But that more and other is God. Fear of the Lord is the stock biblical term for this either sudden or cultivated awareness that the presence or revelation of God introduces into our lives. We are not the center of our existence. Can I read that again? We are not the center of our existence. We are not the sum total of what matters. We don't know what's going to happen next. And he goes on and says this, and this is what really did it for me. Fear of the Lord is fear with the scary element deleted. So often it is accompanied with the reassurance, fear not. But the fear not does not result in the absence of fear, but rather the transformation into fear of the Lord. We still don't know what's going on. We're still not in control. We're still deep, deep in mystery. Fear becomes fear of the Lord. The narrative involves us. Resurrection, wonder, involves us. It invites us in. As I was studying this, this was back in June. Um, our family, again, went, we went to the beach, same group. And <clears throat> I'm not a big sunrise kind of guy. I don't, generally, I like to, to, to sleep in on vacation, but I just don't. Uh, doctor, I don't sleep good. I might need to come see. I just don't sleep good on vacation. And so we're right off the beach. And, um, and so a lot of times I'll just wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning and I'll just go take my chair and go, and go to the beach and watch the sunrise. And there's this one particular sunrise. And um, I, I, I kind of wish I'd taken a picture, but I'm kind of glad I didn't. 
but I was sitting, and it was a cloudy, uh, uh, it was a cloud cover, and there was a storm off the shore, and I could just see the rain. Some, you know how sometimes you can look in the distance, and you can see the rain, and you can, it's like, uh, it's kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but you know what I'm talking about. And as I was sitting there, the sun began to rise, and, and before the sun, you could actually see the sun over the surface, you could start, you could see the colors, and the colors of the pink just started to go over my head, the cloud cover all the way over my head, and then this, this small little patch of rain was coming over, and so as the sun was ri- rising, and the rain was in between me and the sun, it was like this pink shield, this pink curtain that was right in front of me. All these people are starting to run from, you know, trying to catch the sunrise or running, oh, my God, you know, going crazy. And, and this is what grabbed me, is that rain started to fall on me. That pink curtain of rain started to fall on me. And my walk away from that, my takeaway from that was, it was a, a, an, an experience of awe and wonder that involved me. I was kind of part of it all. It was, it was coming in on, on me. And, and I was just so blessed because it's like sometimes we take a picture and it's like, oh, look at that. That's all. I was, I was kind of in the picture. I was a part of that amazing moment where the sun was rising and calling creation to come and worship the creator. Wonder is participation. It's, it's sharing in his resurrection. Romans 6 says it well. As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I, I want to end with, with thoughts about time with God. Again, when I say time with God, I mean what you consider prayer, daily prayer or a quiet time or uh, time just alone with with God, that's how I want to end. How does all this sermon, all that we've said, impact that? And then I'm, I'm, and then I'm done. Our goal, when we sit down, we open our Bible, or we get away to pray, and this isn't our duty, this is, this is a desire deep within us. Our goal is to, is to make His presence real to us. That's the idea. What, what if, let me say it this way. What if that is your goal? Is to make his presence completely real to you. Because he is there. He has gone before you. He is the host of the time. He has already, we don't have to go to Galilee. We are already in Galilee. He has come to us. We don't have to draw closer. We're already close. We just need to see it and open our eyes to this reality that we share in his resurrection life. The second thought is think about your place. Your place when you spend time with God is so important. Maybe it's a room, you know, or a walk or think about your place. And, And this is such an opinion of mine, but I truly think God is more domestic than monastic. What do I mean by that? I don't think you have to run to the monastery to experience God. I think God loves for us to experience Him domestically. To experience His resurrection wonder in our home. 
I think that is an important point when we think about time with God. I love how uh, uh, Salome, her, her family was from the very tip top of the Sea of Galilee. And I think her, her sons, James and John, James is the patron saint of Spain, by the way. They lived in that area. And it's as if Jesus says, hey, let's, let's meet at your house. <laughs> let's meet up there where you guys are from. I love that image. The other thing is it just takes time. You've got to allow yourself time to be with him. You know, I went through this journey of, you know, understanding God's grace and love. And I needed to let my soul breathe. I needed to know if I don't spend any time with God, that is okay. Because God's love and his identity, I mean, he's, he's graced me with his presence. But now I'm kind of coming to a place where, man, there are so many things pulling my thoughts in different directions. I need to come and come home in my thoughts. It takes time to do that. And that's not like, a, and you'll feel guilty. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, man, it takes time to really be with him. And to pay attention to where your thoughts go. Write down. I mean, sometimes that's a good first step for me. I just write down on a piece of paper where my thoughts are before I really start to pray or read. I just write, da- write them down. And then that can be where you say, Look, Lord, meet me in these places. And a quick word about technology and my phone and, you know, all that. I think technology really, at least for me, it reinforces that I'm central to life. I really believe there's only one sacred text. I really believe that. And sometimes I just, I scroll and I touch and I tap and it just, I just kind of get distracted and I get pulled into this whole different world. So I encourage you, practice forgetting where you put your phone. Practice that. Recently, I just took my email off my phone and the day I took, took it off, I kid you not, I checked the weather 150 times. Why? Because I am so used to tapping, scrolling. My mind is so used to engaging with all these pictures and even good things, you know. And so I'm really trying to, to practice just, just losing track of my phone. And especially if I sit with the Lord. And then when we sit with him to really savor his words, the angel said, there you will see him just as he told you. To really sit with his words to you. Sometimes we, we splice and dice and we exegete and we, you know, it's like we, we have all this chocolate that we've cut up and it's right there in front of us. It's like, wow, you know, God's word's awesome. But we don't eat the chocolate sometimes. We have to savor it. And take it in. And that takes time. And that requires space. And to let Jesus turn our religious duty to resurrection to life. To let him turn our fear into fear of the Lord. And then finally just to tell someone. It's a natural thing. Go tell Peter. That will mean a lot to Peter. Go tell the others. Run to go see the sunrise. You know. The best part of that sunrise for me wasn't the pink rain falling on my legs, but it was my wife, Emily, joining me and sitting, pulling out her chair and joining me. It's incredible. And I think we have that together. We, we, we come to the table and we, we come to this resurrection wonder together. And it's such a gift. It's like we, we learn Mercedes victory clap. <laughs> you know? We learn the chance. We, we engage with her. 
we run around the field yelling victory. He has risen. He he has risen indeed. Lord, thank you for your word. It's such a gift. It's such a gift. And it really just paints the picture of the reality of your resurrection. And such hopefulness, such a joy, such astonishment. Thank you, Lord, for going before us. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us in our work, through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.